So yes, we want you to get out of the box, but we want you to get into that place of safety. I'm going to open up in prayer. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Father, that has established your majesty and your glory here on the earth. We thank you, Father, for the hope that we have. The hope, Father, your word is pure. It brings us joy and it brings us peace, Lord, and I thank you and I praise you. Father God, without you, we are nothing, but with you, Father, all things are possible before us. Father God, you are everything you call us to be in your word. And we stand on your promises today, Lord, whether it be for healing, for hope, for our needs to be met. Father God, we know that you stand with us. You never leave us and you never forsake us. We say this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I want to open up with the spoken word, something I put together. The storm knows my every path. It reads my inner thoughts and fears. Reminds me of the pain. Shows me the wall of my shame. Yet I see a door of safety far off, and I begin to run a race I don't understand. Not to look back at the shadows behind. As I approach, I look and see on the doorpost placed the crimson stain of love. Your blood-stained hands I see, arms open wide, welcoming me inside. Your wings stretch out and cover me, my hidden place from pain and shame. My years of torment are behind me. Your wrath has passed over me. I shall remain in your shelter, in the comfort of your word, in the joy of the light inside, in the shelter of the Most High. I remember years ago, as I... I remember a day that, that I had spent all day. So I got up in the morning, I turned the radio on. And I listened to preacher after preacher, pastor after pastor. And then I got home and I turned on the TV and I was watching all the ministries. And, and, and then I, I went to prayer. And, and as I was going to prayer, I was late for prayer. And, and, and I was rushing, I was getting there and... and, and I finally said, Lord, at prayer, I said, Lord, I'm confused. As I sat there and I, I, I listened to all these messages and, and you speak to me in the morning, but by the nighttime I've forgotten what you spoke about. And I can't get back to there because I've filled it with that. What am I supposed to do? And he said, many voices drown out my word. And I realized that, that I, I wasn't feasting from one or two troughs. I was feasting from a banquet. <laughs> and, I don't know, every time I've gone to a banquet, you have some hits and you have some misses <laughs> along the way. And some of the food you just go, ah, I'm not so sure about. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I literally put all of that down and I opened this up. I said, God, you teach me. And every time I would open this up and I'd start to read something, he'd say, did you see that? Well, 
yeah, I, I saw that. He says, okay, go over here. And, and I, got the, I got the opportunity to start chasing after the word. And, and one of the things I noticed through every place in the Bible that I went, God provided a covering for his people. He gave an out. And, and so I was looking at it. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve. Very simple. One set of instructions. Don't eat of the tree. There will be consequences. <laughs> and, and so they partake to the tree. And we're here today. God knew this. God saw it. But even then, they noticed that they were naked. And they were open before the Lord. And as they noticed that they were naked, they hid themselves, trying to find a covering or something like that. But even in their folly, what did God do? He provided the fig leaf and then later the, uh, the, the uh, animal skins for covering. Yes, he sent them out of the garden, but he gave them the ability to thrive, survive on the other side. It's an amazing thought as you go through. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a few scriptures in here. But, uh, so the message today is the blood on the doorpost and shelter under his wings. And I want you to know how hard it was to put this message together. Because I started this message back in January. And, and so my message has Psalms 91 on it. So a couple weeks ago, my sister taught on Psalms 91. All right. And then my message has Exodus in it. Mike taught last week on Exodus. Pastor had Exodus in, as a main focus of his message on Sunday. Yes, Pastor, we were listening from afar. And the broadcast was great. And, and so I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it anyways. And, and Pastor and I had a, had a wonderful discussion. And I realized that... Um, and, and, and I apologize to Kathy for what I did to her today, but uh, I realized that I was, I was taking the message in the wrong direction, and I had to get back to where God had given me in my heart. So we're going to start with abiding in the place of the Most High, Psalms 91, and we're going to be going through 1 through 5. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrows that fly by day. Here we have the sum of it all. I, I remember the scriptures, Jeremiah 17, he who, who, who is like a tree planted by the waters, and this, we, we don't have that one, so, planted by the waters, will always bear fruit in times of drought. When we, when we put ourselves in the position of God and in, in, into his dwelling place, into his cover, God shelters us from the storm. 
I want you to consider um, the story of Cain. And I came across this, and I was, I was amazed. I, I, pastors often said, you read the Bible, I don't know how many times, and as you're going through it, time and time and time again, you can read things over and over again, but the one time God wants you to see something, it comes jumping off the page. And so in Genesis 4, 3 through 8, and in the process of time, starting at 3, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And also brought the first, Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And I want you to hear this next part. It's very important. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, at that moment, God gave Cain a way out. If you do well, if you, if you come back from where you're about to go, he's calling him back. He's saying he gave At that moment, even Cain got a covering from God. But it goes on to say, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel and killed him. Going forward to Noah. In the time of Noah, people were giving in marriage and and, and as it says, as in the days of Noah, you, you have all the things going on, but it was a rebellious group and a rebellious people. And when we look at how long it took for Noah to build that, there had to be people there that were watching him build this ark, ridiculing him. And when we, when we read the story of Noah, we know that eight people, And all the animals that went onto the ship were the only ones that survived. In all that time, people got to see God's handiwork right in front of them. They had a choice to go up to Noah and say, hey, what's going on? But as we see, only eight made it. Only eight came through that struggle. And, and so, let me just do a little bit of the story here. Genesis 7. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and uh, Japheth, and Noah's wives, and the three wives of the sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, yes, and the mosquitoes, sorry, And it's kind, and every bird after it's kind. Everybody picks on the mosquitoes. I'm sure God has a perfect use for them. Every bird is of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So those that enter, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. There was a place of safety. And when they entered into that place of safety, we know for 40 days, 
And then while they were floating around, Noah's stand, sitting in, in the place of safety for that. And what's the word say? And God remembered Noah. Took him to dry land. And God, in this day, has offered us Jesus Christ. He has given us, he has given us a place of safety. We're going to get there in a minute. At the end of Noah's story, we also learn in Genesis 9 about the blood. It's an introduction to the blood. And Noah, after he exits the ship, he is told that all of this is for him. The, the herbs and the trees and everything around and even the animals. But God instructs him that he cannot eat of the animals with blood. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And my pastor gave me a scripture this morning to go with this, Leviticus 17 and 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that it makes atonement for the soul. There is life in the blood. There is life in the blood. But I want to know who you, I want you to know before I go on to this next part. I want you to know what we're up against. Because our enemy and we've all heard it, is like a roaring lion. And, and as he wanders around, he is looking for a target that is easy prey. Peter, 1 Peter 5 and 8, says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. He is the constant enemy of God. Of Christ and of the divine kingdom. Of the followers of Christ and all truth. Full of falsehoods and all malice. He seduces. He lures you away. He isolates you. And all he can do is whisper in your ear. And as he whispers in your ear, he tells you that you're not good enough. He tells you that you have no hope. He tells you that, look at the things that you've done. How can you possibly be good enough to stand in the kingdom of heaven? That's a bunch of holy people over there. That's a bunch of righteous people. They had to be born that way. A friend of mine in the audience knows that I call Satan a little yappy Pomeranian. All day long. And when we remove ourselves from that place of safety, from that, that place of covering of God, 
When we take ourselves out of that and we put ourselves and isolate ourselves, and I want you to know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bear my testimony over and over and over again to whoever wants to hear it. I know because I isolated myself for years. I spent my life running on my own steam, my own endurance. It didn't matter what church I was in. It didn't matter what place I was in. My endurance was going to get me wherever. And as as some of you know, my testimony was hard to be humble when you're as great as I was. And, And everywhere I went, I walked in arrogance and pride. But all of that was the weight of my sin and my shame. And nobody could look underneath the surface, but I felt like this tall. I had no strength of myself. I was holding myself up with thin threads. I remember one day I had a vision. And I wasn't walking in the Lord. Let's be real. I wasn't walking in faith. But I had a vision. And when I saw that vision, I I was standing there and I saw a whirlpool. Just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And it was drawing me in. And every time I was walking in the wrong way, I was going the wrong way with the Lord, I was getting closer and closer to it. But every time I could see that whirlpool going, I knew that there was a thin thread holding me. But my eyes were on the whirlpool. I was staring at that. But I knew something was holding me. And I would face things, and and even in my sin, even in my sin nature, not having a real relationship with God. I knew right and wrong. I had a conscience. And every now and then, I'd be put in a situation where where my conscience had to say no, and I found myself, even at an age of 28, one day I sat there and I was ministering to somebody, that I, like, where did that come from? I'm not even supposed to believe in God. What am I talking to them about? I knew my father had that thread on me and he was holding me. But that yappy Pomeranian kept getting a hold of my life. And he kept talking to me. And I was in some situations that I had no hope. My self-esteem was shot. My life didn't exist. I existed for everybody else in my life, but I had no thought of myself. And, 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 and as I was there, listening to him that time, and some of you know the story in, in there, that, that as I'm sitting there listening, and, and I know my good friends know the whole story, but as I'm sitting there listening, I started to prepare. And I finalized this set of documents and I took care of this. And I knew what I was going to do at the end. I knew where I was going. I was getting off this planet. I was getting off this place. Because of that yappy Pomeranian. Sorry to pick on Pomeranians if you got one. But I, I hit that day. July 
2005. I was a little kid who got raised up in the church. I knew God. But I still got to that other place in July 2005. And on that day, I was trying to figure out how to let my life go. And for a minute, the Pomeranian stopped yapping because he thought he had won. But I did all that I knew I could do. I fell to my knees that day and I said, God, I can't do this on my own. That's when God said, welcome home. He said, welcome home. And as people know, Pastor Al called me the next day, 6.30 in the morning. And God put in motion some amazing things in my life led me to here. God is an awesome God. Satan's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's going to tell you you have illness. He's going to have you tell you you've got disease. He's going to tell you that you're nothing. You're nobody. I mean, we can all come up with a list. We could just roll out a whole piece of paper and we could fill it with the things that Satan has told us about our life. Oh, you can't accomplish that in front of you. No, my God says all things are possible through him who strengthens me. You can't overcome that. No, Jesus already overcame it by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, I am an overcomer. That's our life. Our life is to believe in this word. And so when I picked up this Bible in 2005 and I just started reading through it, God started putting all the pieces back together. And he restored me to health and strength and purpose. He took me to a place where I was once dead but now alive. So I want to share with you the rest of this a little bit about the Lamb of God. The hope of God. So we know, and, and I'm probably not going to go through all the scriptures. <laughs> I weeded them down, don't worry. Um, but I just want to share this story. We know that in, in the time of Egypt, where the Hebrews had been enslaved for 400 years, Abraham was said, don't worry about it. They're going to be enslaved for 400 years, but I got a plan. And Abraham said, hallelujah. And so 400 years, and these folks were told, I'm going to do something tonight. I'm going to do something so great that it is going to release you from captivity. I'm going to set you free tonight. So this is my instruction to you. And he, he said to take a lamb from the first growth, the first birth of the lamb, the, the fresh lamb, had to be a male. Had to be a male. He says, I want you to check it for blemishes, make sure it's perfect. And I want you to get ready to have a feast off of this lamb, so it's got to be quick. So we're going to roast it. But you're going to kill it at twilight. That's specific. To this, to this idea that God had a plan for our lives. He says, when you kill the lamb, you're going to take hyssop. Now, hyssop was used in cleansing ceremonies from old over the leprosies. 
So they were, they were doused in hyssop. It's a, it's a flowering plant. And so that hyssop was used and it was dipped in the blood and it was put on the doorsteps, on the doorposts. And God gave them instructions and in saying, enter into the house tonight. Enter into my house. Be in my presence in there. You're going to celebrate this. You're going to uh, have bitter herbs. You're going to have the lamb. And you're going to have one other thing that I didn't remember. So. <laughs> and the unleavened bread. <laughs> Went out of order. The unleavened bread was used because it was quick. And it didn't mold. It was quick to make. It was easy to make. The bitter herbs was to represent the slavery that they had been in. And the lamb was the lamb of God. It's the Passover lamb. The salvation of the Jews to leave. And on that night, anybody who entered into the safety and shelter behind the doorpost of the blood was saved from the death angel coming over and taking the firstborn. It wasn't just the firstborn of the people. It was the firstborn of the animals. It took everything that angel did. But for those who were entered into the shelters with the blood on the doorposts, the shelter of the Most High, the angel passed over and God's wrath was spared upon their house. And we know from, from the story, everybody, a lot of people have seen the, the, the movie, the Moses, the, the Ten Commandments. They were able to leave. Now, they were, they were chased after, of course, but God even there had a covering for them. Moses raising the stick, the staff above the waters, and his people around him were helping him. The waters parted and the people went through. God gave them a place of safety to get to the other side. God has loved people along the way. Everywhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you think about the time where Saul, the first Saul, not the second Saul, the first King Saul was established. God went to the people during that time and said, I'll be your king. And they said, no, 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 we want a real king. No, no, I'll be your king. No, we want, a, we, want a, we want a live, breathing king. God had given them a place of safety. <laughs> Our Father had the foresight to put in motion on that day Situations in their life where they were honoring the Passover once a year. They were remembering what God had done. That information was carried for generations to generations to generations. And then we come to the days of Jesus. At that time, it probably wasn't called A.D. Probably wasn't called... (laughs) Anything other than than, uh, whoever was working the calendar at the time. And I found out today that there are many calendars out there. 
and, and reading all of them can be a little confusing. But it's the time of Jesus. And during that time, we know that Jesus went in and he told the, the disciples to go and get the Passover meal prepared. And while they were there, Matthew 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it. This is 26 through 29. And gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the many for the remission of sins. Now, I'll stop there for just a second. I'll finish that in a second. Shed for many for the remission of sins. There's some who believe that the, the, the blood of Jesus covered all of mankind. But you've got to believe. You've got to hope in. You've got to have hope in the Lord. You've got to have a place in your heart that you hold so dear that it is like a treasure. So, so beautiful, so powerful, that treasure, you will sell everything you've got to go after it. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our Savior, our Lord, He delivered us. He took us. He gave us the ability to stand in the presence of God. But only if we believe and we hold to our hearts the hope of what the Word says is true. I believe I'm going to bear testimony right now. I know that I know that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is, was, and always will be. I have no doubt. I am persuaded beyond all reason and understanding. Many people call me peculiar because the Word says we're a peculiar people, and I love it when they do. I was today, just today, praying with a good friend of mine, and I walked in the door, and and I have some friends who are losing their jobs at the end of the month, a whole group of them, um, uh, probably about 100 people. And I walked up to this friend of mine, and I said, the Lord wants you to know he's already got a job for you. And I don't know, I didn't know why I said it at that moment, but I knew the the, the way we've prayed before, I know the Lord has a job for him. I know he has nothing to fear. I was down in another facility not too long ago and I was talking to another person. And, and she goes, you know, I have no fear about what's coming. I said, that's because you're standing in the presence of the Most High God. You're standing in the arms of Jesus. You're standing and allowing the blood of Jesus to cover you in times of need, in times of trouble, in times of strife. And as we stand in the middle of the hurricane, as we stand in the middle of the tornado going around us, we look up and praise the Most High God because when we stand, we stand in the eye of the storm. We stand in the center of the tornado. That's where we do because of one thing and one thing only. We believe that the blood of Jesus has covered us from our sins. And when we believe that the blood of Jesus has covered us, then we step into the Most High God. We step into the life. It says in Acts 17, 
if I even have that on there. I might not put that on there. Acts 17, uh, I believe it's right around 21 or 28. It says, I live, I breathe, and I have my being in Jesus Christ. I live and breathe and have my being in Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus outstretched his arms that day on the cross, the blood was coming on the edges of the doorpost. Because the word says, Jesus is the door. John 10 9 through 11, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. For I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He will go after the one And leave the 99 behind. He will go in and find you. And he found me that day on that rock in the back of a house over in Copperfield, New York. And he said, welcome home to me. He knew the day, the time and the hour that I would be willing to surrender my life over to him. And then that day was the day that I entered into the chamber of uh, that, uh, into the building, into the dwelling place where the blood is on the doorstep. You see, as the door stands, Jesus' hands stand. Jesus welcomes you with open arms into the dwelling place. He welcomes you in open arms to to a life, a life everlasting. We have a hope in a life after this world. This world is passing away. This world has no place for it. Bill and I were just chatting earlier for a brief moment. We were talking about our treasures up in heaven. Yes, God blesses us here on the earth. He says, ask. Ask, and he will provide. But sometimes we come to the door and we say, I'm not worthy to go in. Look at my shame. And Jesus says, give me your shame. But my pains, my illnesses, my diseases, give me your diseases. Read it in my word. I took them on the cross for you. My hands stretched out. I bled for you. Without a broken bone, as the word says, the perfect lamb of God. He was the final, the sacrifice, the perfection. We don't have to be perfect going in. But you know what? Once you're under the covering of the most high God. Once you stand there and say, you know what? I'm going to look in the mirror today. And I'm going to forgive myself. And as I, as I stand here, I'm going to drop the death cloth off of me. And I'm going, to, I'm going to walk with my head held high under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm going to hold my head and my heart and say, you know what? I am a child of the Most High God. All of His promises. And I'm just going to finish up and turn over the pastor here in just a minute, but I want you to think about that day. Jesus was arrested on that day. He was brought before Caiaphas. Now, 
Interesting little tidbit. Caiaphas is the one who can approve the temple ordinances. He can approve the perfect lamb. And Jesus was brought before him. Now he declared that this lamb had a blemish, but we know that that wasn't the case. He called him a blasphemer. He didn't know. I mean, I don't know if he knew or not who he was talking to. I'm not going to speculate the mind of Caiaphas that day. But I do know what God said. There was nothing that day that was going to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Now, how many times did we see Jesus? No, it's not my time to go into Jerusalem. No, I'm not supposed to go there yet. But this time was the allotted time. The time that God allotted for him to go. Falsely accused, denied by the disciples and everybody else. He was left there on his own. It's taken before Pilate, who struggled with finding fault in him. Tried to pass him off to Herod. Didn't get anywhere there either. Two rulers of the area couldn't find fault in Jesus Christ. Brought again before Pilate. And to try and satisfy the need to do something with Jesus, he had him scourged. Crown of thorns was placed on his head. He was ridiculed. He was then forced to carry the cross until the weight of it he couldn't bear anymore and he had to have help the last short distance. By noonday he hung from the cross, his arms outstretched, blood coming from the nails in his hands. And by twilight, three o'clock, Jesus died on the cross. The other two prisoners had their legs broken, but Jesus had his side pierced. To keep with Scripture, they didn't know what they were doing, but they kept with Scripture. Then no bones, as I said before, would be broken. He was placed in the tomb. And then on that Sunday, as we fast approach Resurrection Day, Easter, whatever you want to call it, he rose again, was exalted at the right hand of God, and then came back, was witnessed by one, and then more, two, and then forty. And I believe the count was over 5,000. Even Caesar Augustus wrote about Jesus Christ in outside writings. Today, the name of Jesus, no matter how much the world tries to stop it, is never going to be stopped. The blood of Jesus has covered all those who enter in. And that's for you today. There are some of you today who, who look in that mirror and say, I'm, I'm just not good enough. 
Well, I, I hope God will do this for me, but I don't know. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to end with this. I am persuaded. I have seen too much in the kingdom. I have seen the working hand of God in people's lives. And I know today, beyond all days, God is on the throne and Jesus Christ sits at his right hand. And because of that, I am saved. I am redeemed. I'm justified by the blood of the Lamb that sits on my doorpost. And I will stay in the dwelling place of the Most High God. And I will make my home there for all the days of my life. And I welcome anybody here who doesn't know Jesus to give their life to Him today. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to allow your word to go forth today, Lord. I thank you, Father, that that your word delivers. I thank you, Father, that your word heals. I thank you, Father, that your word brings us to a better place. And, Father, all the days of my life, I thank you, Father, that you've given me and others a voice to go out into the harvest fields and find those that are lost and take them right to you. This day I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen.